And uh, the idea that uh, Christ is coming back, and when he does, uh, that will really be our day. What Jesus began at Christmas with his first coming, he will finish uh, at his second coming when he returns. And, um, you know, you heard the kids sing this morning, away in a manger, no room in the inn. Uh, When Jesus comes back, the Bible assures us It will not be to a cave someplace. It will not be in a manger. It will not be in a small little town like Bethlehem uh, that nobody's really aware of. Uh, But it'll be spectacular. It'll be in the sky. It'll be like lightning. That Jesus is coming back with power and glory and the whole world will see him. And the whole world will know uh, who he is. In Revelation, uh, the last book of the Bible, uh, chapter 1 and verse 7 Uh, Here's what John tells us, behold, he, Jesus, is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. It's going to be a spectacular event when Jesus comes back in contrast to the way he came the first time. It'll be the most all-encompassing worldwide event that the world has ever seen. And so... We've been uh, looking at this church in Thessalonica because uh, this church got confused about Christ's return, and as a result, they began to lose hope. If you uh, might remember, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul is writing to this church that he started, and uh, he's commending them, and he says three things about this church. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God three things. Um, Your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus. Faith, hope, and love. Three non-negotiable absolutes of any Christian's life. Uh, Again, you know, we're very diverse and different in a lot of ways, but there's three things that we all have in common. We have the same faith, the same hope, and the same love. And uh, so then when Paul writes his second letter years later to the Thessalonian church, uh, here's what he says in uh, chapter 1 and verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians. He said, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. I'm like, well, what about hope? What happened to hope? Why does Paul mention faith, hope, and love in the first letter, but only faith and love? Here's a church, and he's saying, man, your faith is great, your, your love is great for one another, but the hope has gone out of your church. And he doesn't commend them in the second letter for hope. And if you go on to read the rest of the letter, you find out why. It's because the people had confusion about the return of the Lord and what was, what was it going to be like. And uh, they thought, you know, part of it had already happened, and so they were discouraged. And um, Paul doesn't acknowledge the hope. He writes the second letter, I think, in order that people might understand this uh, reality of Christ's return and be filled up again with the hope that God wants us to live with. makes a huge difference in our everyday life. So just think, for example, of some of the uh, gifts that Jesus will bring when he comes back the second time. Number one, uh, we're told in the scriptures that everybody that trusts Jesus, everybody that believes in what he said and what he did will be resurrected out of their graves if they've died to meet Jesus. Now, just think of how spectacular that is. 
In uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Paul writes to this church, he says, look, we don't want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to not know about this. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or who have died, that you may not grieve like other people who have no hope, okay? And then he goes on in verse 15, he says, for this we declare to you by a word directly from the Lord, that we who are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Here's what it's going to be like. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and uh, so we will always be with the Lord. Encourage one another, Paul says, with these words, with these truths. And notice that Paul says this teaching comes directly from the Lord. Uh, through Paul and uh, to uh, these people in this particular church. Just imagine, death will be a thing of the past. Death will be left behind. What a great day that's going to be. Um, how, how big of a deal is that? And not only that, but you know, the Bible goes on to say we will actually receive a whole new body. That's uh, good news. The older you get, the better this news gets. Uh, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. We're waiting for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Eternal life is part of the gospel. It's what God has uh, desired for us to be like him. And to invite us into his life. And so, how great is that going to be? And the scriptures, I think, go on to say, you know, that everybody who has this hope, if this is real, it makes a radical difference in our lives. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, beloved, we are God's children right now. Be thankful for who we are and what we have already. We are God's children right now, the Bible says. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. And everybody who has this hope in himself purifies himself as he is pure. In other words, everybody that's really expecting someday to meet Jesus personally is getting ready for that occasion, right? Uh, Don't you get ready when somebody important, you're going to go meet somebody important? You get ready, right? You anticipate, you begin to have an expectation of what it's going to be like and so on. And you begin to get ready. And so the Bible says, you know, everybody who really has this hope inside and is looking forward to this return of this Jesus whom we come together to worship uh, is purifying themselves. They're anticipating uh, this event. And uh, you saw in this same passage, if we're still alive when the Lord comes back, uh, we will be caught up together with the Lord in the air uh, following uh, those who have uh, passed away before us. And uh, then when Jesus comes back, we're told in other places in the scripture that all falsehood will be gone. Everything, all the lies will stop. All false religion will be wiped away. Um, <clears throat> evil will be destroyed. Satan will be bound, we're told, and locked up uh, for a thousand years, uh, chained and thrown into the lake of fire. And uh, Satan, we're told, uh, will be locked up. And the Antichrist, we're told, uh, Jesus will destroy with the breath of his mouth when he comes here. I mean, it'll be a radical worldwide 
a spectacular event when Jesus comes back. Uh, the word, the world, will be totally free from sin. Uh, the creation will be released from the curses that were imposed way back in the Garden of Eden. Uh, a new heaven and a new earth is promised us. A new heaven and a new earth. And when I think about that, I think no pollution, no shortages, no wars. Revelation chapter 20 describes a thousand-year reign of Jesus over all the nations from the city of Jerusalem, which is why Jerusalem is kind of like the navel of the world in the biblical account, um, because the Lord will return there uh, just as he left from there. And so uh, in addition to all of that, the Bible says when we love the Lord's appearing, when we're really looking forward to that and anticipating that, uh, there's a special reward in heaven for us and we get to live with a sense of anticipation. Oh, we'll do that at the end, all right? Uh, we get to live with a sense of anticipation, a sense of hope, a sense of optimism, and uh, we get to know that there is really a better day coming. So, in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, um, the Apostle Paul again wrote to this church and he said there's two groups of people in the world. Two, two different groups of people. And uh, in uh, chapter 5, he talked about the Lord's, he's talking about the Lord's return, and he says this, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. First group of people are people who didn't pay much attention to Christmas didn't pay much attention to Jesus when he was here the first time, sort of ignored what God has said about him both ahead of time and uh, what Jesus had said when he was here. And uh, the second group of people, however, uh, that Paul talks about are entirely different and will handle that day when the Lord comes back entirely differently. The next verse, verse 4 of chapter 5, says this, but you are not in the dark like them, Okay. You are not in the dark, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief in the night, for you're all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness. So there's two groups of people, and how they're going to receive the Lord coming back is radically different. One group of people will be totally unprepared, right? They will just not get it. They'll, uh, what is going on? And the other, like you and I, uh, we're anticipating this day. We're looking forward to this day. Uh, we know that this day is eventually going to come, and it's going to set everything that's wrong right. And so we're living with expectation, uh, hoping for this day uh, to come. And so, again, uh, I would like to uh, suggest to you that about 2,000 years ago, uh, Jesus' disciples uh, were traveling around with him, and uh, they were shocked by him uh, because uh, while they had seen a lot of uh, spent three years with him, seen him do miracles, uh, saw his teaching. They were on the receiving end of his teaching, which was unlike any other teaching that had ever happened to, to, that they had ever seen. And um, they had watched him, you know, uh, heal sick people, make blind people see, even raise some dead people from the grave. And uh, so they had these uh, anticipations, they had this expectation about what Jesus was going to do. And then, all of a sudden, Jesus announces that he's leaving. In uh, Matthew chapter 23, uh, Jesus says these words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
the city that kills the prophets, stones those who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together like a hen gathers uh, her chicks under her wings, and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you're ready to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus puts a shocker into the disciples' hearts when he says he's leaving. He's going away. They thought that he was going to establish Israel like it used to be, get rid of the Roman uh, dominance that was on them at the time, and establish Israel to uh, be the dominant nation in the world like it was under King David. And they were anticipating and expecting that, right? And Jesus says, no, I'm leaving. And the disciples, in their uh, confusion and in their despair and in their insecurity, um, here's uh, chapter 24, verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came and pointed out to him all the buildings of the temple. Uh, They're like, well, what do you mean our house is going to be left desolate? Look at the temple. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. The temple at that time covered uh, like 38 acres. I mean, it was a huge complex. And uh, it was a spectacular sight and so forth as it sat there. And the disciples like, what do you mean our house is going to be left desolate? And then Jesus says, you see all of these, do you? And he's pointing, you know, uh, to the temple there. And he says, truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another uh, that will not be torn down. And Jesus is telling them that there's going to be this interlude and so forth. And uh, he's going to leave and he's not coming back until people are ready to receive him, uh, in particular Uh, the nation of Israel. And so as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples then came to him privately and they said, tell us when. When is this going to happen, right? When are these things going to be and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? The sign of the Lord's coming and the close of the age, you know, are in the same sentence. And then Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 24 to answer those questions. And I would suggest to you that aside from the book of Revelation, uh, we have probably the best teaching in the entire New Testament in Matthew chapter 24 as Jesus answers the disciples' questions. And uh, there are parallels in Luke and in Mark. But if we understand this, we understand uh, what the Lord would have us understand about the future. And so uh, Jesus launches into this discussion, and we've seen uh, uh, parts of this and how it parallels uh, with the book of Revelation, uh, what the Lord said, and so forth. And then after this, Jesus uh, gives three, if you will, applications, three, um, three things that we ought to take away, three things that ought to mark our lives. And uh, the first one, uh, he really he gives it to us in a parable form. Now, a parable. Right, is just a very simple story that everybody understands. Everybody understands the simple story. And then Jesus uh, applies a spiritual meaning to this simple story that everybody understands. And so Jesus, uh, in this story, makes, or in this uh, passage of scripture, makes a direct uh, uh, reference to Daniel chapter 9, ties it to this last period of time that Daniel talks about, and uh, all of this starts to. Uh, come together. And so Jesus tells this story uh, about a fig tree. And uh, here's what he says, uh, verse, uh, what is that, 32. From, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. 
As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things that I've just talked about here in Matthew chapter 24, you know that he, Jesus, is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So Jesus is saying, take a look at the fig tree. Very simple story. Everybody understands. When the leaves start to come out, you know it's spring. In Israel, fig trees grew wild, or you could cultivate them. In the Old Testament, if you had your own fig tree, it was a sign of prosperity. Um, But uh, in the spring, the leaves come out, and when that happens and the buds come, you know that pretty soon summer's going to come. And uh, Jesus uses that as a story that everybody understands. And then he says, you know, when you see these things happening, so for those of us who take Jesus at his word, we're always looking to try and determine what's happening. We're looking for signs. We're looking with a sense of anticipation uh, that the Lord is coming back. And then to kind of emphasize things, Jesus says the next verse, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word, okay, will not pass away. What I'm telling you uh, is the truth. And so when we see these things that are mentioned in Matthew chapter 24 starting to take place, we can know the uh, general time of the Lord's return is getting close, all right? And, uh, and then Jesus says, you know, it's kind of an uh, important counterbalance to what he said uh, here, but concerning the day and the hour of the Lord's return, nobody knows, Nobody knows the exact day or the hour, not even Jesus, right? Only the Father knows the exact day and hour. So, uh, you know, when people set dates and all of that, uh, that's, you can know that that's just, you know, their own guess kind of thing. But we are told that we can know the general time when things are getting close by what Jesus said, okay? And then second, um, Jesus uh, talks about unbelievers and um Here's what he says. Uh, He talks about Noah. Now think back to the days of Noah. The second thing Jesus says in terms of applying this is, as it was in the days of Noah, verse 37, uh, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, uh, if you go back to Genesis chapter 6, you can read the story about Noah, and uh, you remember how God instructed him to build an ark, and Noah, uh, we're told in the Bible, was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years, and as he said that there's going to be a day of divine judgment coming, uh, people laughed at him, paid no attention to him, and uh, until it started to rain. And I think if you go back there to Genesis 6, you'll see that the same day, and the day is marked out like on the calendar in Genesis chapter 6, the same day that Noah entered the ark is the day that the rain started to fall. The same day that salvation came, uh, judgment came on the same day. And uh, that might be important uh, in terms of interpreting the timing of various uh, events. And then uh, third, in um, verse 40 and 41, um, you know, I think it's important Uh, to recognize that when this happens, it's going to happen fast. And so Jesus says here in verses uh, 40 and 41, um, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, therefore, 
What, what should we do? So what, right? Well, stay awake, Jesus says. Stay awake. For you don't know the day or the hour the Lord is coming. But know this, you know, if the master of the house had known uh, the night that the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and been prepared and so forth. Therefore, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. Uh, again, the swiftness of this. Imagine, um, you know, I am, when I read this, I imagine having coffee with somebody uh, that's a friend or a family member that uh, hasn't paid attention to Jesus' first coming, doesn't know that there's stuff between them and God, and that God loves them and is reaching out and wants them uh, in his family. And, uh, you know, you're sitting there having a cup of coffee trying to explain uh, God's story uh, against their story. And uh, all of a sudden, one person's taken and the other is left, just like that. Uh, sounds like it's talking about the rapture of the church. And again, uh, you know, there are many passages of scripture that uh, talk all about that. All of that to say, the Bible goes on to say, right, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that God has got his arms wide open to anybody who's willing to put their faith and trust in the person of Jesus and uh, to be reconciled with him. He's in the process of reconciling the world to himself, and he's doing it by the forgiveness of sins uh, through the blood of the cross of Jesus and his first coming. And so today is the day of opportunity, but that day is got a, it's like a window that's closing. And at some point, that window will close, and it will be too late, it, just like it was in the day of Noah. The Bible also says that Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. And you and I, too, this Christmas, can find favor, just like Noah did, in the sight of the Lord, simply by trusting in what Jesus said and what Jesus did on our behalf so many years ago. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just uh, pause here again this morning and thank you, Father, for the wonderful gift of Christmas. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus into the world. Thank you, Father, for coming close to us. Thank you, Father, for drawing us to yourself with an offer that's filled with grace and mercy and truth. And Father, that's also filled with anticipation and expectation about living forever and living in your presence with you and with all the blessings that you want to give your children. I pray, Heavenly Father, that this morning, if there's uh, anyone, Father, who's yet uh, uncertain about their relationship with you, if there's anyone, Father, that's living today without hope in their hearts, then I pray, Father, that you would draw them to yourself and that this Christmas would be especially meaningful as they open their hearts and they embrace, Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to us so many years ago, and it's in his name we pray, amen.